Lifelong readers, you are in the place to be. This is Books of Pop Culture. I'm the master curator, Reggie Bailey. He's the question god, Achille Nazuri. Achille, how you feeling? Feeling good, feeling good. I got a huge week ahead of me. Um, looking looking forward to it. Uh, super excited. Uh, and I'm feeling a bit refreshed. I've been burning the... the we, we talked about this uh, on the other, other Patreon um it's 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 a hundred dollars a month for that one y'all yeah i don't i don't know i mean if you have for just let us know we'll send our cash apps but uh i was talking about i've been burning the candle at both ends and uh i got a good little rest last night yeah uh, you know really really thankful for just good rest you know a solid rest how are you feeling man i'm good man i'm good i'm 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 living a literary life man i can't complain too much you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. Complain that much. Um, you know, lifelong readers, the fellowship, whoever you are, right? Thank you for being here because you could be anywhere in the world, right? This is the privilege of your time that you're sharing with us. That's something we do not take lightly. So thank you. We truly appreciate you. Um, you know, you could be spending time with us myriad places, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are, right? We want you to subscribe to us, follow us. We definitely want you to leave five star reviews, right? Because I was looking. I mean, I ain't gonna say no names. I was looking at, you know, other, you know, book podcasts and I was looking at how many reviews they have. And I'm like, so you can't tell me we can't get some more reviews if y'all give reviews other places. Right. So wherever you at, just give us a review. It ain't it don't take no time. Go ahead and push the little star thing that you see. Go all the way over to the right. Give us five stars. Right. Give us a review. Right. So. So, yeah, let's let's do that. And then, of course, you know, tell some people that you enjoyed your time spent with us, whether it was watching us or listening to us, whatever. Send them a link and tell them like, hey, look, you check this out because this is good. You're going to want to, you know, watch these guys talk about books more and you're going to want to read all the books that they talking to these authors about. Right. So make sure you all send links today. You know, we're speaking to an author who was raised in Nassau, Bahamas, and has lived in India, Spain, and the U.S. He attended Wesleyan University and the Drama Division of the Juilliard School, and his plays have been commissioned by the Public Theater. He was a finalist for the Urban Stages Emerging Playwright Award, and his writing has appeared in various magazines, including Poets and Writers, Literary Hub, Electric Literature, and The Rumpus. He is currently a practicing psychotherapist and divides his time between Brooklyn, New York and Seville, Spain. His debut novel was a finalist for the 2023 Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction. Our guest today is David Santos Donaldson, and we will be speaking to him about Greenland, his debut novel, after this quick break. David, thank you so much for uh for being here with us today. Excited to record this episode and get into uh Greenland a little further. And I have a I have a very fun icebreaker today. I hope you'll appreciate okay. this. So when you were shortlisted, first off, when you were longlisted and shortlisted for the Carnegie uh medal, right? Yeah. I'm curious to know whether it was you or Kip that was more excited by the shortlisting or the long listing of Greenland? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously Kip is fictional person, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, since I can make him up, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say he was probably more excited than I was. 
I was like, damn, like when I when I uh when I was reading the book, and then of course you know about like the the you know being shortlisted, right? And congratulations to you on that too, because so that's a prize. I, I I follow a lot of prizes, but that's definitely one that I tend to enjoy. Like I, I kind of like the the selection of books they tend to um to pick. But yeah. when I was reading about Kip and just like his his goals, which we'll we'll get to, yeah, right. I was just like, damn, like if Kip was real, he'd have been. Oh, he was he was awesome. desperate because <laughs> he's so desperate to get it, right? He's like, well, I found out because I, I was uh I was actually in bed and, and my, my editor texted me about the uh shortlist. Uh I, I thought it was a dream. I thought I was dreaming. I was yeah. like, there's no way I'm going to be shortlisted with these writers here. I mean, writers who I've like idolized my whole life, you know, it's like, how is that possible? So I was pretty excited. Yeah. It but is. I think Kip would have been, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would hope that maybe by now Kip would have matured a little bit and, and be. Kip thought it was a dream too, you know, when he got that call later on, you know. That's true. That's true. To be honest with you, I still feel like I'm dreaming a little bit. My, mm. my, you know, I, I've been trying to get published for like over 20 years. So, so when this happens, I, I'm just not used to this version of myself and this stuff happening to me in the world. It feels like, is, is this real? Yeah. Yeah. You know, are these guys really calling me to be on their podcast, or am I dreaming this? <laughs> hey, hey, uh, hey, this this is real. I think. I think yeah, we're all here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That feels real. Yeah. I don't know, virtual, so we don't really know. It could be in the. Yeah, 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 yeah. It could be a thing. <laughs> all right. So, um, how are you doing, genuinely? And when we say genuinely. Uh, if you have trap gas, let us know. If uh, with something you ate doesn't agree with you, how are you doing? Genuinely? <laughs> I love this question. Trap gas has to be in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I'm. Uh, I don't have any trap gas. Okay. Uh, I have a secret. I drink every morning. I drink a little apple cider vinegar with with some water because mm -hmm. I used to have. Trap gas, but <laughs> but wow. that's got. Uh, I'm doing. I'm pretty. Uh, I have a little bit of muscle tension right here, mm. uh, and it's been there for about a year, <laughs> mm. ever since the book came out. So yeah. that's my tension, right? Uh, there's there's like a level of tension there that, uh, and you know I. I don't want to be quoting your past guests, but I, I have to say, like when I heard uh, Laura Warrell respond to this question, I was like, she's uh, she's got it. This is, you know, that was a great response. Uh, I, I identified because I'm, I'm straddling joy and anxiety. Uh, so, and I'm, and I'm, I have to say, I feel like I'm doing a lot better at managing that. But when I heard her her uh, interview, I was like, yep, that's exactly what it feels like. It's like the best time of your life and the moment you've dreamed of. Uh, and so much, so much unexpected stuff coming at you and constantly coming at you. And 
uh, and stuff that uh, a, a readjustment of who I am in the world because of the way the world is responding to me, it, it's, uh, it's overwhelming and it's uh, anxiety provoking and it's great. And, and I, but I'm, I'm doing a lot better with it right now. So thanks for asking. Yes, yes. I, I have to. I, I don't want to. I know it's not you're not in the view, but how's your uh, any trap gas over there? <laughs> no, you know, um, I actually did apple cider vinegar as well, but I'm on CMOS now. I'm, I'm more of a CMOS guy. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But I was taking a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar. I generally don't let my gas get trapped. I just, um, you know, I let yeah, it go. Let it rip. I let it go free. But uh, yeah, yeah I used to. I just drank the. I just took the teaspoon. Like by itself, apple cider vinegar. Oh right, yeah, yeah. I've done that too. I, it's a little easier with the water though, but it's mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of my college days. You know, like a shot of liquor. because it is strong. Yeah. Nah, I mean, I yeah, water. You know, water. Yeah, you know I'm saying well, that's all I do over here. You gotta get some. You gotta try it, Reggie. That yeah. is tough, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I bet it is. I'm looking at both of y'all like, damn, y'all, y'all going Ooh. in. It's tough now. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. I, I, I might. I might report back to y'all on that. Oh yeah. You know. And um, I'm. I'm even more excited to ask you this, David, based on the little snippet you gave us already. You know about. You know, 20 years. You know, in right, 20 years in pursuit. Um. What is the most important lesson you've learned or some of the most important lessons you've learned about the business of writing? Good question. And I learned I've learned a lot this year, especially. But uh, I used to have the dream or fantasy that, you know, if you write something great, or really good, it's going to get, someone's going to notice and you're going to get published and, uh, you know, and I, and, you know, it's, it's kind of naive to think that I, that I believed that the work would speak for itself and people would uh, want to publish it. And I realized, you know, after, and like I said, it's, I'm not joking, 20 years of since I, since so 20 years of actually having an agent and trying to sell novels. I, and, and, and I got so many uh, responses that were, the reason I even continued at all is that nobody said, oh, this is, this is shit you can't write, right? They said, oh, the writing's beautiful, it's imaginative, interesting. We just don't think there's an audience for this right now. Uh, we just don't know how, where we just don't know how to sell this, you know. Whoa, we wish we could take it, you know. Oh, you're so talented. Keep on writing, but we, we, but you know, we just don't think we know how to sell this. Um, and I kept on making the mistake of uh, of thinking that what they couldn't sell was. Uh, well, first of all, I don't know. Maybe it's a mystery. Like it's a little bit of a mystery of what couldn't they sell? Like what? I'm not like, what are they not telling me? Is it? Is it because? I mean, it can't be only because I'm black. Because there's plenty of black writers getting published. Uh, is it because I'm gay? Well, 
yeah, maybe there's fewer of those. Is it because I'm gay and I'm writing something that's not like, you know, super commercial, you know, and a little bit challenging and it's that it's like, you know, a little more literary. I, I never really, I don't think I ever really got a, uh, a full honest answer. At least that's what I felt like. Um, but what I eventually did is a little bit like my character, Kip, uh, I... I um, I said, you know, okay, I really want, I do want to get published before I die, yeah. so, which is happening like maybe, you know, 20, 30 years from now. I got, I got to move, got to get moving. I want to get published, right? right. <laughs> uh, and so I, uh, I decided that I was going to stoop to the market as much as I could. So I started researching books that I saw were getting, that were selling well, but were also getting some, some uh, you know, respect from the critics too. Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't trying to do like, you know, Tom Clancy and, you know, not that he's, I'm against him, never read him, but, you know, I wasn't trying to do that level, but just something I thought, okay, I would say, what are these guys doing that I'm not doing? Uh and so I, I researched, I, I read for like, you know, about six months, I just read all the books that were nominated for, for prizes uh, and were selling well. Mm. I, and, I, and I actually learned a lot. I, I, I learned that I had to simplify. <laughs> Believe it or not, Greenland is my simple version. I had to simplify. I had to make shorter, shorter chapters that people could digest really quickly. Um, and, and then I had some luck. I have to be honest with you. I think there's a little bit of luck involved here is that, uh, Black Lives Matter happened in a, in a big way. Like, you know, after George Floyd and all that, the, the whole global, globally, you know, it wasn't just like, you know, my folks down in Brooklyn were protesting. I looked around the TV and like people in France and, and, and England are like, Black Lives Matter. I'm like, okay. So then, you know, publishers were all of a sudden hungry for not just, you know, some black voices, but there was a push to like, okay, you know, we've done black voice, but we, now we got to expand and include uh, more diverse. You know, there's really push for diversity. At the same time, there's like all this gender and and uh, LGBTQ plus sort of uh, movements that are getting more listen to more a little bit. So I think I benefited from that. Like it was just at that moment that um, I had just finished writing Greenland. I was writing Greenland. Uh, and I was like, okay, now is the moment because this is what they, they want. Uh, so a little bit of luck in that luck, you know, who wants to call that luck, right? <laughs> but in terms of getting published, it was a, a good moment. But at the same time, uh, I also did adjust how I wrote because I realized there was there's a market. If you want to sell, you have to to appease the market to some degree. So, yeah, no, I, I um, you know, I, I'm sure I could say this on behalf of Achille, perhaps, too. I really appreciate the honesty of that answer. Um, not only the, the the length of time that you went about like trying to get Greenland published, right? 
the fact that you mentioned, hey, this is the simplified version. The fact that you mentioned, yeah, I read for like six months the books that were winning prizes and selling. Um, just because like so much of the time, the advice that you hear is right. Like, hey, look, go into your voice. Your unique voice is what's needed. And shout out to, um, you know, Ramika Bigham Risher, right, who I think of a guest we have on the show, because that's that's even something that I clipped up and put out. Right. Your yeah. unique voice is what's needed. Right. And, and, and this isn't to say that what you put out is is not unique, because I, I definitely believe that it is. Right. But um, it, it's just interesting to note that, like, OK, hey, I was doing something unique for whatever reason. You know, they decided they couldn't sell this. Right. So I gave them something that literally I know y'all could sell because, you know, I studied. This is what y'all say all the time. But I have to admit also, on the other hand, I do agree with the, it's like all these things are true. I do agree with what you said before, because uh, I think in writing Greenland, I did find even, it was kind of ironic. Like I was trying to write something that I thought could get published. But then I end up, as I was writing it, I realized, oh, shit, this isn't going to get published. <laughs> this is too weird. Uh, this is not This is not the kind of thing. So what I did with Greenland uh, was a little bit different than what I did the books previously that I had written. I said, I'm going to get this over with really quickly because I don't, I don't want to waste my time writing this thing that I don't think is going to get published. I, 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 it has the elements that, that I think might get published but now it's turning out too weird <laughs> you know mm -hmm. I, I, I have a little bit of historical fiction i have a little bit of like something that seems semi-autobiographical i have some essays bits that sound like essays and some poetry it's like this yeah. is not uh this is going to be a hard sell so but i got really wrapped up in it so i kind of did like my my protagonist i i locked I kind of locked myself down and I said, okay, finish this as fast as you can. Like in, in six, seven months, I, I, it took me like eight months mm. to write Greenland. Yeah. But a lot of it was based on a novel I had written before that took me like six years to write. Yeah. The historical novel about E.M. Foster and Muhammad. I had written, I had, like Kip, I had written that novel. Yeah. And it didn't sell. Can you provide your synopsis or elevator pitch of what Greenland is about and let us know the inspiration behind it? I can say it's a New York elevator pitch and we're going to the 78th floor. So, <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> all right. But not, not that long. All right. So, uh, my, my pitch uh, Greenland is narrated by uh, the protagonist who's named Kip Starling. And Kip Starling is a black British Caribbean queer young writer who's aspiring to be this great writer. And he decides to move to Brooklyn, New York because uh, New York is where his idol, James Baldwin is from. And he, and he wants to go to New York and he's gonna be a great writer. And he has written a novel, uh, an historical novel about the great British uh, writer, E.M. Foster and his first secret love uh, of his life was with Mohammed El Adel, who was a black Egyptian tram conductor who he met during World War I in Alexandria, Egypt. So Kip has written this novel, uh, but it hasn't sold. 
uh, for a couple of years. And, and finally, he and his agent get a call from the biggest editor he could imagine, his dream editor. Uh, and she says uh, she's maybe interested in publishing it, but with two big caveats. One is that he rewrite the entire novel from Muhammad's point of view. And two is that he do it in three weeks because mm -hmm. her publishing house is getting bought out by a conglomerate in a month. And she needs at least three weeks to read it before she, ex if she accepts it. Uh, and one week to read it uh, if she accepts it. So he has to write it in three weeks. So Kip, as we mentioned earlier, is desperate to be a, a published writer. So he locks himself in his basement in some crazy way, which you could, you know, I won't go into the whole, all the dramatics he goes into to lock himself into the basement and decides he's going to take up his desk. He's going to rewrite this novel from Muhammad's point of view in three weeks, no matter what. And as he does this, um, and my editor coined this phrase, but I like it, it opens up a, a Proustian portal for him mm -hmm. where as he starts to write from Muhammad's point of view, he, he starts to open up memories of his own life. And they both have a lot in common. We're on the 58th floor, almost up there. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, uh, he starts to uh, blend with Muhammad because they're both black, they're both queer, they're both involved with older white men, and they're both negotiating their relationship to whiteness and colonialism. Uh, and as Kip Starling is his name, starts to write, he gets, starts to blend uh, his story with Muhammad's, but then even more, he starts to feel possessed by Muhammad. Mm -hmm. And as he gets more and more possessed by Muhammad, strange things happen. And he ends up in Greenland where he hopes to find his voice and strange things happen. And that's, that's my, my. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I like I like it. I mean, okay. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's a complicated novel because uh, it's so many things going on, uh, you know, which is uh, could be a plus or a minus. But um, it's that's why it's hard to give a quick elevator pitch. You know, it is a peculiar sensation. This double consciousness, this sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others, of measuring one's soul by the tape of a world that looks on and amused contempt and pity, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is from Souls of Black Folk, W.E.B. Du Bois, and you also have, but the conquest of the physical world is not man's only duty. He is also enjoined to conquer the great wilderness of himself. Mm. The precise role of the artist then is to illuminate that darkness. This is from The Price of the Ticket by James Baldwin. Can you speak to us about um, why you ended up choosing uh, both of these passages to form, I guess, the epigraph of Greenland. Yeah, wow, that's that's a great question, Reggie. I've never been asked that question. Oh, thank you. And uh, therefore, I'm not prepared. But, <laughs> but to honor ancestors who have... Uh, been important in shaping my my consciousness and my self as a writer and as a person. Uh, these two people, no matter what they said, I, I I could put anything from them and and be happy because I wanted to honor and to say like these these the presence of these people are are in this book somehow because they're in me. Uh, 
And, you know, my mother actually uh, went to uh, Fisk University uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and met and had some classes with Du Bois, uh, uh, Du Bois. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't have a picture with him. And I was like, Oh, wow. This, so that is cool. So, uh, you know, uh, from a kid, my, and my mother, when I was, uh, in the womb, she was reading, uh, another country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so these people were passed down to me somehow uh genetically in my blood uh but also in what my parents taught me about you know so the actual words of what we're saying are i think pertain to the novel too there's all this double consciousness going on all the time and uh and i think i think uh i mean it's nothing new for anyone who knows about it not certainly not for you but you know being a, a black person in the in this world, and especially in America, and, and I grew up in the Bahamas, not in, in the United States, which, you know, which is, uh, I can talk to you about the difference, I think is, is, is pretty big, uh, you know, so because I, I experienced what it's like being here and being there. Uh, and so I know, especially here, you're, you're always there's a, a mind that sets in society where you're looking at yourself as a black person because you, how, you, how you're being seen by the world, yeah. you know? And, uh, and I think there's, there's some tragedy in that <laughs> and stress in that, you know, my parents were from, you know, my, both my parents went to uh, historically black Universities of the United States. My father came from the Bahamas. My mom grew up outside Chicago, uh, but they, you know, they both, and and they were from a time where you know they were very dr- strongly drilling into me. It's like you know you got to represent the race. How you look in public makes a difference. Don't don't make us look bad. You know, when you know when Spike Lee came out with School Days, my mother was horrified. She goes, oh. How could how could he be showing white people what you know what we're like? He, that, that's not that you should keep that. You should not. We should not be showing that. We don't want to show that to the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all all the all the sort of all the color color colorism and prejudice the prejudice that goes on between in yeah. in between black people. You know, she was horrified that that was was being seen, uh, and then James Baldwin. You know. I'm also a psychotherapist, uh, and I'm a person who was for a lifelong, lifelong meaning since I was like 16. I've been I'm a meditator, so I uh, really uh, value and understand the idea of the internal wilderness. You know, when we go inside, there's the whole world in there that we we don't know that we need to get to know, and that's that's sometimes dark and scary. Uh, and, you know, people do a lot to avoid going in there, you know, uh, and so every time when someone starts therapy with me, I was like, congratulations, you know, you're, you're, this is a brave, this is brave because a lot of people just want to say, oh, I'll I'll forget about it, forget about it, have fun, have a drink, whatever, you know, distract yourself. I'm not, I'm not going there. 
because I don't want to know what what shit's gonna mess with me. So, uh, but James Baldwin says it's it's the it's the artist's um, mission. It's necessary to go there, yeah, to go to that wilderness uh, and come back and talk about it. I recently attended the um, the first Mississippi Band Book Festival, and it ended with uh, Kiese Lehman and Jasmine Ward. Um, and and one of his points had me thinking about a point that I've been thinking about ever since I started engaging with Rick Rubin's latest book about creativity. Oh, okay. And then, yeah, I was listening to him and another author, Ryan Holiday, talking about um, that book. And, and Ryan Holiday said something that his friend said to him, which is that the first draft is for you, right? And then after that, you deal with everything and everyone else. And then Kiese said something similar in the idea that sometimes you can get so sucked into an idea, the idea of that first draft, that revision essentially can be the only thing that can save the work. Mm -hmm. Your novel is a novel about a novel inspired by a novel, complete with novelists speaking across the literary landscape to each other's experiences. Extremely metal, right? (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And I wonder about what the vortex of crafting that must have felt like now, knowing that you did it over the course of eight months off of right, right. this previously written novel. Um, right. And so, like, Kiese was talking about this layering that, that kind of goes on in this revision process on top of that initial story. So can you talk a little bit about crafting something that feels so ambitious as this work? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so, okay, where do I start? So I'll give a little bit, I've talked a little bit about this, but I'll talk a little bit about how this, how Greenland started. So I had written this book just, you know, and I'm really, I don't blame, like the first question you asked me is, is right on target with, uh, it's my fault. Because you had, who, who likes this better, Kip or, or you, right? Who's more excited mm-hmm. about that? And I think that's my fault because I created this character that purposely starts out to be a lot like me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. With the, and, and it's like obvious when you read it, like, oh, this is like, this must be like the writer. Because, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so it, yeah. it's true. That I I did write like Kip. I wrote a historical novel about E.M. Foster and Muhammad's relationship. And like I said, that novel uh, was was shopped around for a while and 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 didn't get picked up. Got a lot of, I love it, but we don't know how to sell it. Kind of stuff. Um, and one editor who like with Kip is the was the biggest editor of all. And I can even say his name because it, his name is Jonathan Galassi. Now he owns Farrow Strauss and Giroux. And you know he's the editor of people like Jonathan Franzen and all you know he's he's like been in the business forever and is respected by everyone across the board as a, a great editor. Uh and and his imprint, you know, and his but his press, FSG is like one of the top literary kind of presses. So he loved the book. He liked the book a lot that I wrote, this p- previous one. And so he met with me and my agent, and I was like, oh, God, this is it. You know, I'm going to get mm-hmm. this giant editor. I was like, I can't believe it. And he's like, no, I just want to meet with you. I'm not going to publish the book. And we were like, well, what is that about? So he met with me, and he said, you know, I want to 
it's beautifully written. I want to encourage you as a writer. I, I'm not going to publish this book. And I was like, well, why? What? Well, what? Why? I'm this close. Like, what do you, what? I've been, what? And I already have been, by that point, been writing 17 years waiting to get published. I'm like, why? And uh, he's like, oh, well, you know, I just don't, you know. I said, well, what would, what would change your mind? And, and he said, well, actually, if it was written from Muhammad's point of view, that would be more interesting. We already know a lot about E.M. Foster. We know his voice. We know his history. But we don't know much about this Muhammad. I would love to hear from him. Mm -hmm. and at that point, I had taken about five years to write the book, three years to research it. I did a lot of research. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and so including I, I went to England and was at Cambridge and looked through all the archives. And I, I did a lot of research. for. So I was like almost seven years writing this stupid book. And I was like, uh, I am not going back and rewriting this book again. I'm, I'm done. I'm moving to the next project. I mean, Jonathan Galassi is great, but I'm not going back. I'm sick of being in this 1900s with these people. I need mm -hmm. to move on with my life. So um, we said, thanks for meeting with us. You know, so my agent tried to sell the book another year and we didn't sell it. So finally I was trying to come up with a new idea, something to write. And I was like, you know, okay, fuck it. Oh, can I say that? In this anyway, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself a month of trying to write this thing for Jonathan Galassi because if Jonathan Galassi wants it, you know, I, I should give it a try because this, you know. So I sat down for a month. I, a month was my deadline to see if if I hate doing this. So I started writing this book from Muhammad's point of view. I'm getting to your question, Akili. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this We're is great. Thirty-four. Thirty-first okay. floor. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> no man, uh, and um, and I, I wrote from <laughs> from Muhammad's point of view, and I was bored to death. I was like, I'm bored with this shit. I don't, I, I don't want to do this. But I said, Jonathan Galassi wants this. I have to give it a try. This is like big. So I'm like writing and writing, and I'm like. And then before I write, and I always have a, a habit of when I, uh, not even have it, a practice of when I sit down to write, whatever mood I'm in, whatever I'm feeling at the moment, that's what goes on the page. And I, I, I incorporate it in what I'm writing because I, I want what I'm writing to feel urgent and I want it to feel real. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. So even if I'm in the middle of writing like some love scene, let's say, I don't know. If I sit down the next day and I'm picking it up and I'm in a bad mood and I'm angry, all of a sudden I have my character who was just about to kiss someone say, fuck you, you know? Yeah. That's where I'm starting from. And then I'm then like, oh, things are changing. Okay, I, I'm, I'm alive with this. Uh, so I'm saying sort of, I guess I'm saying yes to wherever I am and I'm making sure that where I am at the moment is on the page. So I sat down to write this Muhammad thing and I was like, I don't want to write this. I feel like I'm sitting in this damn room with a gun to my head to write this thing. I hate this. I wanted to, and, and that voice, I started to become interested in that voice. And like, like, what do you mean you're sitting here? I'm like, what does it mean he's sitting here with a gun to his head? And I was like, oh yeah, I could have some guy who's locked away with a gun to, with a gun right there. And why does he have a gun? What's he gonna do with this? Then that voice became Kip. 
And then I said, oh, yeah, Kip's writing this book. He doesn't even necessarily want to write, but he has to write. And what's going to happen to him writing this book? And how is he going to see Muhammad? And what's and, and what's his going to... So then it got carried away. So then it became a book about this guy writing this book for this guy, but more about his experience and how that... And then I was like... And then as I started writing it, I, I would sometimes say, oh, that makes me think about wanting to talk about an experience I had with, like, when I was in college. But I, I hate... I, I'm not good at memoir. I feel... I don't know what it is. I feel a little self-conscious. Or I, or I feel bored when I write about myself. But when I exaggerate a little bit or make it fiction, uh, it's it's more interesting to me. So I started saying, oh, but 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 Kip wants to talk about like what it's like being in college and sitting in the in the dining hall when all the black kids don't ask him to come over. Uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not Kip, but something like that, something like that happened to me, not in that extreme. But mm-hmm. I want to exaggerate it. And then I said, oh, well, this is, then I, then halfway through, I'm like, oh, this is not the book Jonathan Galassi wanted me to write. But this is for me, like you, to your mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is for me. I want yeah. to write this. Um, and I'm going to, and all the things that I've been like trying to, like all the things I've been trying to do and, and not say or worry about saying, I'm just going to fucking say them. I'm going to, I'm going to say what I want to say. It's going to be, uh, a diatribe about all my issues uh, that, that I'm going to get off my chest. And I'm going to give myself six months to do this. Uh, but it turned into like eight or nine months, uh, you mm. know, because uh, then when I started and then I started writing them and on the end, I was like, oh, I actually maybe this kind of works, even though it's weird. I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, I was I'd also, you know, loved and like just adored Ta-Nehisi Coates' uh, book you know between the world and me and i was like oh i, I would love to like be able to have like sort of respond have some parts that respond to my thoughts on this but maybe through an angle of a character because yeah. you know so so that's how it that, that's how it evolved so it was for me that first draft and and then and then my, i gave it to my agent and I also have a writing group, and my writing group looked at it, and and they were like, oh, "It's okay. It needs some needs some work. It needs to be sort of like organized better, and it's okay." But you have some stuff there. But I also and I said, "Oh well, I sent to my agent already." They were like, "You sent this to your agent like this?" I'm like, "Yeah." And my agent got back, and, and then I was really depressed by my my group's response because I thought like it was better than they responded. And my agent, and I was actually, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing, but I was so depressed by my my writer's group's response that I actually came home and I got in bed and I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed the rest of the day. I just wrote the, I just spent all my energy doing this and I thought it was good, but I guess not. And I, I give up, you know, I can't, I don't know. Yeah. But, and then that same, at the end of the day, I, I picked up my phone. It was an uh, email from my agent. He says, I love it. It's perfect. Only needs a couple adjustments. I can sell this in a minute. What? My whole mood just changed. I'm like, oh, what? Uh, you know. So the only thing he said is like, let's just cut up some of the chapters and make them smaller because I, I think it'll be better that. Um, 
and we, you know, changed the names of some of the characters, uh, and that was it. Yeah. He yeah. sent it out, and uh, it was picked up in a couple months, in less than a month. It was picked up. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. Go. Uh, that is um, that is dope, and it actually like flows really nicely into a question I have, right? Because one of my one of my favorite probably moments in the book is is a conversation that Contra was having with uh with with Kip about struggle, right? And and Americans' tendency towards comfort. Comfort. Although, you know, discomfort is really like like the way to go, right? Like she's talking about how you enter the world and it's uncomfortable entering the world. She talks about how being sexy is uncomfortable, <laughs> right? She yeah. she talks about like Americans not caring about how they look when they go outside. Like it's it's an amazing thing, right? And there's even a moment, I won't say when this happens, but even even Ben uh speaks to Kip about like right. you know struggle, right? Like right. life being you know struggle and in and, and the way the only way out is is through essentially, right? Or even you know, uh Achilles mentioned Ryan Holiday, right? The obstacle is the way. Exactly. Right? And I, I wanted you to talk to us about the ways, you know, discomfort and struggle, right, um, serve as like the primary function of Greenland and um, what you hope that your novel is, I guess, saying to readers about, you know, struggling for progress. Right. Well, I never thought, I never, I mean, I guess, well, first of all, just any fiction or any, any like uh dramatic, any, any like, you know, movie, you play book. Uh, it's, it's very rare that you can keep uh, an audience interested without struggle and conflict. Right. Yeah. That's like, that has to be, uh, it's essential part of why we are interested in something too. There's a conflict. Yeah. Uh, so, I think it's just natural. Uh, it's a natural part of storytelling that we have to have conflict and, and struggle. Otherwise, who cares? Like I woke up, the, the day was beautiful. The night was beautiful. My wife was beautiful. My kids are beautiful and everything. It's like, okay, who fuck cares? You know, I woke up and my wife said, what the fuck are you doing? I hate you. You're like, okay, what's going on here? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so struggle right. is like just part of life. But I also believe because, um, you know, like I said, I meditate for a long time. Uh, and, um, and at one point, uh, my parents, although that my, I have to say my, for all the crazy things my parents have done, which they're kind of crazy, but they're also been very supportive in, in crazy things that I've tried to do. And so when I was 20 years old, I told them I was dropping out of college and I was going to become a Tibetan Buddhist monk. And I and I had and I was I was kind of uh, I had this teacher. I went to this, uh, Wesleyan University, and there was this teacher there. And there weren't many black professors there, but there was this one fierce black professor named uh, um, uh, Oh gosh, now I'm forgetting her name. Maybe uh, for a reason I won't say her name. So, but she she taught religion, and she was she was like this little Angela Davis kind of woman. She had this, this petite but this big afro. Uh, and and she was she called herself a black Baptist Buddhist nun. Hmm. So she was from the south, but she was also a Tibetan, 
Uh, and she was fierce. I mean, she played. I went over to her house once, and she was playing like Stanley Clark. Uh, you know, Stanley Clark bass player. She was like playing bass, and she was she was fierce. She was cool. Uh, she was the professor everyone wanted to take class with, and I kind of fell in love with her. And she introduced me to Tibetan Buddhism, and she said, "Well, you know, if you, I really love it, you know, you could try it out." And uh, and I really got into it. And the point of what I'm saying is that the basic premise of Buddhism is that the the human the condition human condition is suffering. Mm -hmm. That is just what it means to be human. Uh, you know, and all of this ideas. I mean, in, in in the Tibetan sort of thinking that the people the the the, the entities or the way of being who people who live in pleasure and please themselves all the time are the world of the gods. But the gods don't have the gods can live happily and but they don't have the possibility of liberation. Mm. Only a human has a part of liberation because it's through the struggle that you become liberated. Yeah. So so I'm a deep believer in that uh, anyone who avoids uh, who avoids struggle is uh, avoiding growth, avoiding the opportunity for liberation. And I don't mean that you have to be miserable because the whole point of Buddhism is to like how to be, how to find joy and, and a sense of peace and equanimity in the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't give up the struggle. I mean, uh, struggle is, 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 is all we, is all we have is it's, it's our route to liberation. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's obvious. Like, I mean, maybe it's, maybe what I'm saying is too obvious, but but I think a lot of people, uh, I think people overrate happiness, you know. I mean, happiness is great. It's great to have moments of happiness. You know, I, I don't, it's not like I want to be miserable. I mean, I'm not talking about we should be clinically depressed all the time because that, that's not even joining yeah. the struggle. That's just like giving up. Uh, you have to have enough energy to, to struggle. But being happy, I don't think is the point of, of life. Uh, I think, I think we can be joyful without being happy. Uh, no, I know that sounds weird, but I think we can have a sense of appreciation and fullness about who we are in the world, even in our pain. I mean, like, what else is blues, right? That's what it is. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm singing to you about my pain. I and I, and it's got to be some sense of of joy in that music. In life, in, in in fulfillment, but it's not like I'm happy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Listen, when I first uh, got interested in Buddhism and I saw that that was like the core tenet, I was like, "Oh no, this is not going to work for me." You know, it was like right? all there is is suffering. You know, I was right. like, mm, "You know, no." But like you said, it's not necessarily like just this idea of blah, woe is me. No, it's, it's more so like. Okay, so what do you do with that? Like, how does yeah. that kind of work in your life? How do you function with it? And, um, you know, I still kind of veer uh, towards Hinduism because my I got some homeboys who are Hindu. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, so I read the Bhagavad Gita. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I was like, actually, right, this whole concept of kind of going through is just, I mean, it's one of the most beautiful concepts of God I've seen. You yeah. know, and that's, that's what I always tell folks. So I read the Gita. I've tried to read the Quran. I haven't read the whole Quran. Um, and the Bible, right? And I was like, you know, the Bible is like <clears throat> a sign of um, 
uh, forgiveness, right? Like the Bible has like that forgiveness as, as it's the core. New Testament. The first, yeah, 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 Testament. the first was a little rough, a little brutal, yeah. <laughs> and then you know, the, Quran, brutal. <laughs> the Quran is like discipline, and um, you know, like the Gita was like you know beauty, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel that. So I say all that to say the next thing I'm interested in is I want to talk about the uh, Kundalini snake uh, and Kip's experience with it. Uh, once I got into uh, meditation and the manipulation of my consciousness uh, back in what I like to call my hotep days, um, you know, I, I got interested in uh, chakras and mudras. Uh, so when I saw Kip's interaction with the concept uh, and Shakti, I was super interested in where it would lead him because in that part where he was going, uh, where it was going to take him, uh, because it is also connected to connected him to Forrester. Uh, and your novel also spoke about its association with fire and pleasure how do your characters accentuate both the good and bad possibilities of working with uh that chakra because i've also seen it associated not only with nirvana and creativity but also madness right so wow that, can you break that question down a little bit to me because how do my characters how does so like how does more so not all of your characters but well no i think so okay so yeah. let's say, how does Kip, Kip's experience with uh, Shakti, right? Right. Uh, with Shakti and the Kundalini snake. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also Forrester's experience in terms yeah. of creating yeah, uh, yeah. Maurice, yeah, right? Yeah. How do they accentuate both the good and bad possibilities of working with that particular chakra? Because I've seen it associated with these bursts of creativity. Right. right? Uh, but also these ideas of madness oh right fine line yeah yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah mm -hmm. right well i have to say like the way that these that that's that's a great question and it's like i almost i almost want to ask you the question and hear your answer because yeah, i yeah i have because i think you probably have a better answer than i do because, because you know, I when I'm when I'm writing it, I'm not writing it from sort of an intellectual place where I'm like trying to like make a point about this or that. I'm I, like I said, I'm letting it flow from wherever it's coming from, and a lot of it's coming from unconscious stuff that I don't even realize. It's only when I I look back or I read a review where someone says, "Oh yeah, I can see what you're doing this and this," I'm like, "Oh yeah, I did that." Like I look back, I'm like, "Oh yeah, that is." That is what I was doing. I didn't, I didn't plan that, or I didn't think of, that I was doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was a, there's a uh, quote from, um, I don't know if you, you got a guy named uh, Milan uh, Kundera or Kundera Milan Kundera. He wrote the mm -hmm. unbearable lightness of being and everything. Yeah. He wrote a lot about acting, about uh, writing, acting. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said like. Any novelist who uh, who is more intelligent than their novel ought to go into another line of business. <laughs> mm. I like that. <laughs> I do too. So, my novel is, in some ways, a lot smarter than I am about this issue, uh, because I think you probably could talk about it more. But what I what I could say is that there that I was aware of, and I am aware of the the, the fine line between madness. And creativity, and, and even and even spiritual, you know, enlightenment. There's, it's like, 
you know, I, I, I actually worked in, uh, in psych wards before as a social worker, a psychiatric social worker. I worked in a Woodhull Hospital in the, in the psych, psych unit where people are, you know, dealing with schizophrenia and mania and all kinds of things. Uh, and man, some of these people would come out with, they haven't read a stitch of the Bhagavad Gita or, or, or any of this stuff. And they're coming out with it, like almost mm -hmm. word for word stuff that Jesus could have said, or that Buddha could have said, but that they're right on it. You know, yeah. ask what day it is. They don't know who's the president. They have no idea, but they could come, it comes right out of them. Uh, yeah. So there's some madness uh, involved in, in, in the creative and the spiritual process. And it's finding that balance, I guess. And I don't know if I have it. I know, I know writing is a little, I hope I have it. Uh, uh, but but <laughs> writing, writing is a, it takes you to crazy places too. Yeah. You have, I think you have to be, you know, one thing I've learned about, you know, you asked me earlier what I've learned about, you asked about the business of writing, but, Beside the business writing, the the art of writing or the or being able, it's like first of all persistence. I mean, you know, and you have to be a little crazy to be obsessed with something for twenty years that everyone is telling you no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or maybe not. Right, something something's got to drive you, and like I don't know what it is that that drives me to keep writing, uh, and why I, I I stuck with it. I I think I have no other way to like it's it's my way of of living. It's way of arranging the world. Like once I'm writing, I feel alive. Yeah. I feel like I I can engage with the world. I'm otherwise a kind of a little bit of a hermit. Uh, but I'm more interested in the world when I'm writing because I'm like, oh, my character can use this or or this. Everything that comes up in the news, I'm like, oh, that that makes sense. I could use that. That's I can respond to that. It's my way of responding to the world. But it takes a, a little bit of obsessive quality because, like you were saying about this, uh, the process of editing. Like once, I it's almost I don't know if it's embarrassing or what to tell you how many times I write a single paragraph and page you it's 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 it sounds crazy <laughs> you know like i i think maybe the first three pages of greenland at least 50 drafts <laughs> or more yeah and it's like I got read it, read it, read it. It's like no, that sentence no, that word no, that doesn't. Oh God, thank God it's done. I come back tomorrow and read it. It's like no, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. And then you send it to your agent, who's my agent's also used to be an editor, so he's really good. Then he's like redlining everything. It's like no, get rid of this paragraph. Get rid of that. So and and I think I've noticed um, that being open to. Uh, being open and not so attached to your genius <laughs> is, uh -huh. is very important to getting published. I think I've seen a lot of people who have said, you know, who I admire and I say, wow, I wish I, I had the balls to be like that, to say, no, you don't like it. This is what I, this is what I'm writing and you take it or you leave it. This is, this is what I want to say. And I'm like, yeah, that's like, 
that's like someone who knows who they are and knows who they want to say and doesn't know how to get published. (laughs) 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 Because, Because, you know, there's someone's, you know, editors have jobs and, you know, and and they're going to use their jobs to say, get rid of this, get rid of that, get rid of that. And it's and it's humbling. And you have to, like, eat your ego and say, OK, I'm going to find. But but you can't give up something essential like you can't get you have to you have to choose your battles. It's like I don't know if any of you have kids. I don't, I don't have kids, but I'm around a lot of kids and a certain age. They were going to challenge you on everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And you got to choose your battles. Right. Either you're going to like insist that they they finish their Cheerios or that they like, you know, get up and leave right now. But you you can't fight. And with the same with Pum, you have to choose your battles and know. Know what's most important to you and and then have to like just walk that. Feel that shame of like, oh, shit, okay, I'm going to get rid of all this chapter that I freaking love and I think is important and forever. But, okay, if you say it doesn't work, I'm going to have to make it work. But certain things, I've st- I have I did stick with certain things, mm-hmm. especially because my, you know, my agent is white and an older white man. And I knew there's a lot of things he wasn't getting and 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 that he was uh, – and, and he – God bless him because he helped me get this novel into such a good shape that when we sent it in, the first three quarters of the book needed no change at all. The editor was like, this is great. Yeah. However, she wanted the last quarter of the novel completely rewritten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which took me another four months uh, yeah. once I had the publishing deal. Uh, and she was right. But uh, she was a person of color and I was like... Uh, she gets this. She gets. Mm-hmm. She gets this. She gets it. Yes. She wasn't black, you know, uh, but she, you know, uh, Tara Parsons. She's amazing, uh, of Japanese descent, uh, and but grew up in America. And she, she, she got the stuff that I was hoping she would get, and she had me amplify those parts. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Good, good. Yeah. yeah, I love when I build a question like that. It's it's like a you know, and I don't want to toot my own horn, but it looks specific. It looks extremely specific on the surface, but it really just like opens you up to have the conversation you just had. And I would offer um, you um, how to go mad without losing your mind. Uh, Madness <laughs> and Black uh, Radical Creativity uh, by Lamar. Okay. I think Jarrell Bruce. It talks a lot about what you were talking about in those yeah. psych wards um, and about how you know, madness and the closeness to it, right, has created these bursts of creativity that he just doubts that we would have, you know, without. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, early, early in the book, right, we see Kip essentially, you know, lose his parents on like an emotional scale, right? Mm. And, um, you know, immediately after he becomes, you know, like published, right? Through through some poetry uh, yeah. that he wrote, right? And even even adult Kip is, is struggling with relationships to, you know, his husband, as well as, you know, uh, his, his best friend, we could say perhaps, uh, Concha, right? So being his husband and Concha, you know, due to the pursuit of, you know, being published, right? And, you know, this is something that I end up calling like Kip's, sacrificial pen i would like for you to speak to us about this passionate pursuit of writing 
Yeah. And what Greenland says about this pursuit and how they can possibly coexist with, you know, strong relationships. Yeah. It's a really, really good question. An interesting question. I think, you know, I think there's a part in, in, in the, in the novel, uh, if I can quote myself, uh, (laughs) a part of the novel where, where Kip says like, uh, Loved ones are the biggest obstacle to, to yeah, yeah, that, right. Uh, and there's 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 something very brutal about the process of of if you're trying to write honestly and if you're trying to write something true, that's trouble. <laughs> that's trouble for for it's not only trouble for you, but it's it's trouble for you know, your relationships in your life, because you're putting, you know, we, we don't, we don't, we get along with people because we don't always tell the truth and we don't go down to the truth and we shouldn't. I mean, it would be, it would be obnoxious if we told the truth about everything uh, all the time. Some parts of this book, I was worried about how people in my life would respond because it seems so or semi-autobiographical, yeah. or how people in my life would would respond to maybe thinking they saw themselves or some version of themselves in the novel. And I and I read something once that uh, that Zadie Smith said that that she that she had done that once in a novel, and it was uh, and she thought it was an act of cruelty and violence to do that. Um, and I love Zadie Smith. Uh, and I don't know if I completely agree with her because I don't know how you write without doing that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I, I hear what she's saying and I would love to ask her, like, how, how do you do it then? Uh, because, and especially um, like you brought up this thing of the bit in the novel where, where Kip sort of loses his parents because, because he's written this thing that has, that has upset them, especially upset his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was worried about that bit of my mother reading that bit in the book because, you know, that that was fictionalized version. I have to say, there are a couple things in this book that were actually come from my real lived experience. Like so, like, you know, my experience of what it was like going to a mostly white college and then uh, having to, to deal with like. At that time, I was from the, I had just come from the Bahamas. So I didn't sound like I sound now. I, I, I have acclimated to, mm. to my environment. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and it's not phony. It's like, you know, this is where I speak. But when I go back to the Bahamas immediately, people are like, oh, you didn't lose your accent. I'm like, well, you know, l- listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear what I say. You'll hear what I sound like when I'm talking with Americans, right? Mm. Uh, so uh, I'm kind of bilingual or trilingual, you know, uh, trilingual because I speak Spanish too, and um, in these different ways. Some of that incident with my mom was closest to what happened in, in real life. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I have to say, uh, and so I was really worried how my mom was going to deal with this. Um, mm. And I was really, I have to say, I'm really impressed with how she dealt with it. 
either she's really good at going into denial, which is I'm happy for, you know, okay, fine. Uh, she, she didn't remember anything like this happening, which is good. Yeah. Um, and she said, you know, it's, it's your life. It's your story to tell. You, you tell your story, which I thought was very big of her. Uh, I, was, I was very impressed. Maybe Zadie Smith is right, is that I think uh, some I've heard other people say, be careful what you say and, uh, and what you talk about around a writer because it's going to end up in a book. <laughs> uh, we're mercenary and, and, <laughs> and, and use our lives and it's what we do. And, it's, and it maybe it may it's evil, maybe it's mean. And I've really, I've really thought about this a lot because I, I feel like it is, you can't, if you try to be nice and you try to sugarcoat things, then you're not being honest and it and that comes across on the page. And when something is, you know, like I've I've the parts I've said to myself when I wrote this book, since it was gonna be just for me when I realized it was so weird that I don't think it was gonna get published, I, I was I was honest as much as possible. And I think that's something that I think that's part of the reason why it did get picked up and why people do resonate with it because there's a lot of honesty in there. And I think that's the honesty makes a difference. And I think not only was I lucky, like I said, with the timing and people being interested in hearing a black queer voice at this time, but I think also I had him, I had written a more honest novel that I'd ever written before too, which makes, which made a difference. Um, and I think before I was, I was, I was trying to, I have to admit, and it's embarrassing, I was really trying, you know what I was trying to do? I was trying to do what Robert uh, Jones Jr. did, right? Yeah. Write a beautiful novel that's people could say, oh, it sounds like Toni Morrison. I was like, ah, I was like, ah, that's what I want to do. That's, yeah. that's, that's the writer I want to be. That's yeah. the writing I love. You know, I, I want to, and and I was reading this this book called I don't know if you guys have read it because uh, I know you I know you're writers too so especially Akila you got your novel in you somewhere come coming in don't worry twenty years you got time yeah I got time yeah <laughs> <laughs> you got time for it to to hit like a bomb you know so don't worry yeah, about yeah, it. yeah 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 it's, it's um. But uh, George Saunders' book, uh, Swimming, what is it called? Uh, swimming uh, it's like Swimming in Ponds or something. Swimming in the Rain. Yeah, yeah. In the rain. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I didn't go to an MFA program. Uh, so that book for me was like a great education. Uh, I love that book. But he says, you know, we all think, we all have a dream of the kind of writer that we think we're going to be, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be to me. I'm in my mind. I'm gonna be Toni Morrison, Jane, uh, uh, William Faulkner, and like Tolstoy. Like that's who I'm gonna be. And then comes out Greenland, which is nothing like that. And like yeah. he says, like sometimes what comes out of you is not is not that writer that you thought you were gonna be, but but that's who you. That's where you're alive on the page. Somehow. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I still I'm inspired, like you know I, I you know I'm I'm inspired by people like Toni Morrison and and Tolstoy and Faulkner. I mean, I, I when I read those people, I, I if you know I read a paragraph and I want to write, it's like oh I want to do that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I want to figure out how I can show up in the world like that. 
Um, but I've come to accept that I'm that's not me. I, I and I think I say I point out Robert Jones. I know you had him on your on your mm-hmm. thing, right? Yeah. At, least, at least on the live, right? But um, um, I think he he did a, wrote a beautiful book, uh, and I think without being without imitating Tony Morrison, he 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 shows that he's inherited. Tony yeah, Morrison. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Well said. And uh, I wanted to do that, and I and I and I think that when I didn't do that, it came across. Uh, differently than I expected, and I didn't expect this novel to be. I didn't think that my agent was going to like it, and, and it did. And I and I've learned. I learned something about. This. I learned something about this. In I have so much to say about that. But go yeah. ahead, Reggie. No, yeah, I mean, because it's because it, the thing that I'm thinking of, right, is how, like, for example, when I when I think of like complicated, like like books, right? Sometimes the complications are accompanied by like uh this this specific kind of language this literary language if you uh-huh. will right yeah. like like tony morrison like beloved right, right? like all the right. stuff that's, that's going on in there adds to the like uh just the complicated nature of the work right uh-huh. but then you got something that's you know written in plain speak if you will like right. things fall apart right right things right. fall apart is still an amazingly and beautifully complicated novel despite right. the fact that you know, Chinua Achepe and Toni Morrison approach prose totally differently, right? Totally, yeah. And, you know, you you do the same thing. Like, yeah, sure, you decided not to be Morrison, but you decided to be David Santos Donaldson. And we yeah. still got an amazingly complicated and complex novel that there's so much to talk about and so much ground to cover, right? Like, you, we honestly would need, like, five hours here, really, to, to really get into, like, everything you're doing here. Probably more than that. Right. And that that's yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah. And you wrote it your way. And that that's all I was thinking about, like, as yeah. you were saying everything. Well, what I would say is, um, yes, like three or four things. But um, I mean, it just goes to uh, Kip's realization at the end of the novel. Right. Um, that that comes through what the MFA professor was trying to mm. say, but didn't yeah. understand. Didn't right? right. It's not that you are. It's not that you you know, are trying to write them, right? It is just that those people influence the noise that you find out that you're going exactly, to make. Exactly, exactly. Right? Yeah. And so, and so, for instance, when I think about what you're saying about Robert Jones Jr., what you're saying is, yes, he has, um, he has those nuances of Morrison's beauty in our prose, but yeah. I would argue that he writes in a more, in, in something that is much more interested to um, in like the poetics, right? Yeah. And also, the noise he makes that is influencing my novel um, that I actually let him see, the noise that he makes is that ancestral voice that mm-hmm. speaks really clearly in those chapters throughout his yeah. novel, which in turn has influenced something that I'm doing in mine that it it, it is an ode to what he did in his, but, mm-hmm. it, is something, but it makes a totally different noise. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And so, um, you know, I that's what I hear when you say that. And that's what I hear when Kip has that realization. Yeah. And to my earlier point, uh, I was wondering if he was going to get around to it. But that comes with a bang. I won't say what that bang is, right. but that comes with a bang, a yeah. burst of creative explosion. Right. 
that that Gus might say was violence, the the necessary <laughs> violence, right? So so what you did, like Reggie said, is something that is uh, that is super complex, is beautiful, and then and then the question that I was going mm -hmm. to ask that I right. think you will really enjoy, right, uh, is that there was once a wise woman who says. I was I was once under the impression that the label magical realism was another one of those words that covered up what was going on. <laughs> I don't know when it began to be used, but uh, my first awareness of it was when certain kinds of novels were being described that had been written by Latin American men. It was a way of not talking about politics if you could apply the word magical. Mm. Then that dilutes the realism, but it seemed legitimate because there were these supernatural and unrealistic things, surreal things going on in the text. My own use of enchantment simply comes because that's the way the world was for me mm -hmm. and for the black people I knew. Amen. Uh, there was this other knowledge of perception, always discredited, but nevertheless there, which informed their sensibilities and clarified their activities. Mm. It formed a kind of cosmology that was perceptive as well as enchanting. And so it seemed impossible for me to write about black people and eliminate that simply because it was unbelievable. Your novel, in its typical layeristic way, yeah, I made that word up, in its uh, typical layeristic fashion, has kept yeah, some to it. Uh, that was Morrison. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then your novel says, right, uh, when he's talking to that MFA professor, and the MFA professor says, what is with this magical realism, uh, oh, this man. magical um, yeah. uh, realism, your novel, your novelist Kip says, but that's just the way that it is. What are you talking yeah. about? Ghost and ghost and voodoo are just the everyday part of our lives. Yeah. So you know, I, I, there is a question in there, but um, you know, why was that? You know, since you tried to say that you weren't writing in in Morrison's uh, lineage, but you so obviously are. Why is that? Uh, why is it important for him to say that ghosts and magic are our reality? Uh, and then there's also a later conversation when he's in that temple uh, where they have a conversation about the necessity of magic. So mm -hmm. why is that a necessary right. part of your novel, uh, Mr. Uh, Donaldson? <laughs> First of all, thank you, Gilly. I love that quote. And and I have to admit, I haven't read that before. Yeah, you got to read the whole thing. She's spitting. I, oh, she I mean, when you, I don't believe I haven't read that because... As you were reading, I was like, yes, yes, yes. I was like, who is this woman, you wise woman? I was like, oh, this has to be Morrison. Got to be her. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, I, I wish I had read that because I've tried to say that in, in other interviews, not as well, but boy, mm -hmm. say it. Uh, so thank thank you for sharing. What, 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 what's that? Is, is it an essay from? Uh, it's, um, I want to say, let me see, I had it pulled up because I pulled it up darkness, every now uh, and then. I want to say it might be in that, um, but yeah, it, it yeah. always pulls up if you Google Toni Morrison um, on magical realism. Okay, it pulls yeah. up on Rutgers. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I, I, I don't say, I, I don't even like that term magical realism. I think it's uh, you know. Well, I don't need to say yes. anymore. You just said it. I, she's, <laughs> yeah. I don't say anymore. Okay. So, what's the question? Though, why is it? Why do I need to talk about it? Where did you get the inspiration for that specific part? Like when he says, but ghosts and magic are our reality. Because like you just said, you didn't even read yeah. that. You yeah, you know. So yeah. where did that come from? Like, where did you yeah. like draw? Like, how did you figure out you hate that term? 
Okay, so there's like there's two terms I, I hate, and they're not even terms, but there's some definitions, and one is a term, and one is actually probably real, and I'm just in denial. So magical realism and melodrama. I, I get on my nerves because they've mm. uh, they've been used. Uh, I feel like they've been used to, and maybe it's just my my sensitive ego, but they've been used to to mean minimize uh, my work or or marginalize my work into some sort of, I love how she says that to avoid the political, right? It's like, you know, oh, it's magical realism. It's like, no, this is, this is real. This is realism. This is real for us. This is, and it's not some, some weird genre and it's not something you can dismiss as woohoo or whatever. It's, it's real. So I don't, I can't improve on Toni Morrison, man, but, but, for me, it's uh, <laughs> for me. Often, what I write, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm always surprised when people say, "Oh, you've written a magical realist." No, there's lots of elements of magical realism, and it's like you know melodrama. I'm like, maybe I'm just a melodramatic person, and and so so it's my reality. Uh, but I feel like all of us deep down are like melodramatic. It's like you know someone steps on your toe and they don't mean to you automatically like you may not you may not scream at them but inside you're like god damn it right you're like you you get this weird anger comes up out of nowhere you're not being mellow you, you may not act melodramatic but it's some reality in there i don't know i'm just going off on the, the melodrama but uh but magical realism i think i first of all also i grew up in the bahamas so uh, we have like something we call obea, which is the same thing as voodoo, candomblé, santeria. You know, it's it's normal part of of what you. It's not that I always believed in it always, you know, because I always was a little bit okay, okay, you know, okay, Grammy, yeah. those are spirits over there, but but it's not. But there's something uh, important about it. You talked about um, Robert. I talked about Robert Joe Jews and you mentioned mm -hmm. him and he, and he makes a big deal of, and I think appropriately so and understandably so ancestors, his ancestors. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, that's a very strong tradition with a lot of cultures, especially African cultures, the recognition of ancestors and the presence of ancestors and that, you know, people are dead, but they're not gone. They they are they they are present in in some real ways, and I really feel that. I really believe that deeply. I, and I've, you know, I said that I'm a meditator, so I've had experiences that you know uh, I don't I, I won't share here. But mm -hmm. if I did, people would be like, "Oh, you're crazy," or "That's weird." Like you know, things you can't explain, right? Uh, and I'm like. I believe I've I've been visited by the goddess, right? I've 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 felt the Kundalini stuff happening myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I so I wasn't trying to be I wasn't trying to be cute and and, and like magical. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I was just yeah. from 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 reality from my own reality, and I love how Toni Morrison says that. Yeah, yeah. She goes on to talk a little bit about, I think it's the same thing. I think it's actually like an interview, but she goes on to talk about, you know, like like you just said, it wasn't that when you were growing up and you were just like, yo, okay, a 
my goodness, there are spirits over there, but it just was. And she says when she started writing is when she became much more familiar with those things that she had grew up around. You know, um, when she gets to see uh, Beloved come up out that lake, yeah. you know, like she's, she's like the, the the revisiting of the, the the going in right into that internal wilderness. Yeah. Is what made all of that so real. And it makes you think about, like you said, like it makes you think about like the things that your grandmother was talking about. Right. Um, and then like you might think, at least for me, like when my grandmama talked about this type of stuff, I thought, you know, it was like a primitive thing. Right. You know what I mean? Like it was like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. She's so old school. Why is she putting that salt down? Right. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like blah. Right. But it's really not. It's like a really deep knowing. It's like a, yeah. you know, and it's cool too because it's like it's not even tied to how you're supposed to think about that. Um, it's literally just she knows this to be true. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Exactly. And you know what I think too about this? I think there's something about it that. It's different from, and now I'm going out on a limb, so I could be talking absolutely out of my ass, but mm -hmm. it's, I'm sorry, uh, and I could reveal my craziness, but there's something uh, about the preference for sort of a white European perspective. Uh, and and I don't even mean in even thinking that white people are smarter or better because that is part of the whole one. But the the preference for sort of this scientific reality where we dominate nature and 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 we as men are in control of everything and we have to learn everything and know everything. God forbid a white person doesn't know an answer to something they feel like. So you know you know you got to know everything. And magical realism allows for the reality is that there is stuff we don't know and that we should humble ourselves to the ancestors, to the environment, to nature. We don't know, we don't know everything. We start back and we, you know, it's the point is not to dominate everything and own everything and be able to control and know everything, you know? And, uh, and so I think magical realism speaks to that reality, a deeper reality than this like, we are man and we are gonna, you know, like a nice clean prose describe something just accurately what it is. Yeah. Like we don't know what this is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry yeah. but that's my little going <laughs> off. <laughs> that's that's actually perfect. And 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 to be honest, right? One thing that Greenland even made me think about, because like the, the scene essentially that we're talking about is you know, when Kip is speaking to you know Mr. Asshole, and Mr. Asshole says, you know, hey, magical realism went out of style with Rushdie and, and Marquez in the 80s mm -hmm. and all that. Right. And it's like th this is why, like, you know, something that I've even mentioned just on the side is like, you know, what would like the black MFA look like, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, or or and this is why, you know, you would want to have like black acquiring editors and you know, copy editors and things like that, because when we come across that, we ain't gonna say Rushdie went out of style in the 80s, bro. We're gonna say, okay, bet. I like that you included this in your work. Gabrielle influenced Toni Morrison. Like I, I said that before, exactly. that's the exactly. first person she brings yeah. when she starts teaching. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what does he talk, you know, but like you said, I Rich, think because it speaks to some re deeper reality, some deeper reality and truth, you know, this quote-unquote magical realism, right? Do you guys know the play Fairview? 
It's so I, I know about it. I haven't like read it or seen it. Yeah, yet, it was by this woman named uh, Jackie. We got her name right, Jackie Sibley's Drury. Yeah, and it and it won the Pulitzer Prize. Yep. Uh, and man, that play blew me away. It, I, I'm lucky that I live like in New York, a couple blocks from where that play was on. So I went to see that play, and at the very end of the play. Uh, and it's kind of a spoiler alert, but uh, you know, it's it's. I think it's worth it. Uh, at the very end of the play, she, the play is mostly like this farce of this like wacky black family, like this middle class black family trying to live the perfect middle class black family life, and then all of a sudden, like, and in, in the um, the lights go like it seems like it's getting near the end, and the lights go up in the theater. And on the stage, and all of a sudden, like so, we see everyone, all the audience, and the play stops, and they, and one of the characters says, "Wait, I want something to happen." He goes, "We're gonna, we're gonna ask all the white people, we're gonna get in the audience, and we're gonna ask all the white people in the audience to come up on stage." So all the white people in the audience go up on a stage, and then the black characters, it's an all-black cast, comes into the audience. He says, "Okay." Now it's just us down here. And 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 the lights are on them and the lights are on the white people so they can't even see us because when you're up on stage all the lights in your face they can't see you. Mm. So so like we can gaze at them but they can't we can't get the white gaze. Mm. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> yeah. And then she says, "Okay. Now how do we tell our story?" <laughs> right? And it's like, "Okay, <laughs> <laughs> do we uh is it that uh, we have to be better than to make it like, no like without we don't have them so we don't have that story we have to be better than or just to be good you have to do this uh, no and then it's and then i have to be honest i started to tear up as she went on and on and i realized how hard it is to even conceive of what our story would be us non-white people without white gaze with the white one how hard it would be yeah yeah and that's and that's like a heartbreaking right it's like yeah. to me i found it heartbreaking yeah listen listen i think that's uh i think that was moses that kind of posed that to us you know yeah. like what is blackness without without them yeah. you know um so much of it is born out of uh, you know so much of it as we know it right is born out of you know their presence you know um and uh yeah we were just it was a, I, I don't, did we record was that on the show or is that after because we a talked bit for of like it. an hour after that, yeah, you know a little about bit that, of it made the show too concept. yeah yeah but yeah, yeah that's heavy that's mm -hmm. heavy and you 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 know i ain't gonna say too much but you 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 was getting at that too in in greenland you know what i'm saying i ain't mm -hmm. yeah like i said i ain't gonna say too much but yeah, yeah. you know there's yeah. there's some moments where you know, someone wants to completely get rid of a gaze. It's, yeah. I'll, I'll just say this. It's just us. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. To my mother, who read Baldwin to me in the womb, bought me an orange Olivetti when I was 10. Unlike some mothers in this story, has always believed in her two sons. Um, could you talk to us about um, how you ended up dedicating Greenland to uh, your mother? Yeah. I, first of all, I date myself quite a bit because 
Most people, probably anyone under what under thirty five doesn't know what Olivetti is. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like uh, it's a typewriter. Oh. Ah, it's a little typewriter that my mom gave me when I was ten years old. Got it. It was a little orange typewriter, you know. So, uh, so that's how old I am. Uh, <laughs> but my mom, uh, for several reasons, you know, my my mom, my mom always wanted to be a writer, but but she she didn't have the maybe the patience or the guts to, uh, she was, she was raised, you know, she was, she went to Fisk university. She was Appa. What is it? Alpha Kappa Appa, you know, what, what you know? Oh, like A's. Yeah. yeah. A's. She was, she was, you know, pretty wrapped up in, in being an upwardly mobile black person who was going to be upstanding. Uh, you know that was she was wrapped up in that, and and probably still is, and and that's totally understandable because you know when you are growing up in that era, um, there were very very really very limited opportunities for black people to get ahead, and and you had to be worried about the things that you worry about, and um, and you did. I mean, even still, you know, but you do have to sort of represent your race in some way. So I, I, I have sympathy for that. But at the same time, I think, you know, it doesn't lend it doesn't lend toward the courage you need to have as an artist to to say all kinds of stuff that's not going to be polite and nice, uh, you know. And so she always wanted to do that, but she she couldn't she couldn't break out of that. So um but she instilled in me, she was a literary teacher, she was an English teacher for a long time and she taught literature. And so she, and, and she, uh, my first novel that I actually read besides um, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, that little, you know, C.S. Lewis uh, book. Yeah, the first yeah. book I actually read at, tw at like 10 years, no, 12, I think, the first big book I read was um, Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how I how I read it at twelve. I made myself read. I, I actually liked it. I don't know what I understood <laughs> at that age, but it influenced me. But it made me actually love writing. But that was all my mother's influence. So so she was a big influence on me wanting to be a writer and becoming a writer. Um, and then the truth. And since I know she's not going to listen to this, <laughs> the truth is that also. You know, uh, that scene I mentioned earlier where I depict the mother not in the best light. Uh, and uh, I thought she would be upset about that. And I wanted I wanted her and the world to know that there was another side of her that actually is very encouraging to her kids. And uh, and I, I wanted her to to know that I want I probably acknowledge that she was supportive, but she is. Uh, mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And and she's my only living my, my father died several years ago, so she's my only living parent, and so I wanted to yeah, yeah, yeah. respects and gratitude to her. Yeah. Uh, indeed, indeed. Um and I, I know in your book, you know, we get a ton of like literary references, right? You get prose, you get Morrison, Ishiguru, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy Wolf, right? Like 
Colson Whitehead. I was like, look at Colson Whitehead making an appearance in the novel. Right? Was in there, yeah. yeah, right. Reggie Bailey. <laughs> anyway, but I wanted, ask, really? <laughs> right, you know? I wanted to ask, um, right? I wanted to ask, like, who, you know, I guess outside of them, or or maybe, maybe I shouldn't even assume this, right? So, who are like some of your biggest literary influences? Tony Morrison, <laughs> yeah. Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, August Wilson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a playwright, you know, for many years. Uh, August Wilson uh, is just, you know, for me, like Shakespeare, and then Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so you know, no, no, probably no surprises there. Uh, but I have to say that, you know, my relationship to these writers. I feel the, the one reason I sort of resonate with Robert Jones Jr. paying so much respect to ancestors is that, you know, when you, and you know, you must know this, but if you read, you know, if you read someone's work enough and you keep on reading it, you, you know, they're in there. They, they are in the books. Yeah. And if you ingest that over and over, you have them in you. So just like I have my my mother, my father, my grandmother, and I mean I, I, you know, I was introduced, for example, to Tolstoy at a very at a relatively young young age. I had really good luck that that um, I went to this school. I graduated early in the Bahamas because uh, we we have a different educational system. So I graduated high school at sixteen, which was too young to go to, to college. My parents thought, as a kid, you know, you want to grow grow up a little bit before you go to college so I so but but there was nowhere else to go to school in the Bahamas because I reached the highest level so I had to go to the states to school and I went to this school um, and I was so lucky to go to the school because they they focused a lot on literature and in the junior year which I had to do a junior and senior year you read all of Tolstoy that's what that's all you read is Tolstoy and the yeah. and and the this school is like a tiny school there there are 100 people in the whole school less than 100, but in each class, 20, like 80 in each this whole school. But it, you're supposed to apply everything you read to your life and figure out how it matters to your life. And so Tolstoy, okay. at like at 16 years old, I was ingesting Tolstoy and not only his techniques, but understanding what his worldview and what he was saying. Uh, in a way that it's not like academic or some guy up on the shelf from some white guy from 100 years ago. I was I was having to write essays about how it, what it meant to me in my life, uh, and so Tolstoy is in me. Uh, Tony Morrison is 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 in me. I I mean it sounds pretentious and I don't want to be pretentious, but I'm just saying that that her poetry and her and her worldview, uh, you know, I I feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and August Wilson too, you know. I remember August Wilson was on an interview with uh, what was his name? The guy who used to have a show on PBS who doesn't have a show anymore. Um, Rose. Yeah, Charlie Rose. Yeah. And Charlie yeah. Rose was saying, you know, wow, you know, your your work is is so much like sh- so Shakespearean. Did you use Shakespeare? And he's like, no, I didn't. I've I've hardly read any Shakespeare, but his work is Shakespearean. He's he takes you know. African American experiences and, and and elevates 
all the humanity in it uh, that you could possibly imagine. So um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with his work, but. So, so, yeah, I've I've seen Fences and I saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Like I saw both of the films, but I haven't uh, read them, though, or seen them um, like in, in theater. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with him from, you know, like our school did like a we have to look at him as the person and the and the impact of him as a person. Oh, so I'm right, familiar right. with him from that kind of perspective, yeah. but not from the work perspective. Yeah. Tell us who you would like to see as a guest on Books of Pop Culture. But if you are connected with this person, then you must disclose your connection so that we too can be connected. Okay. So I did a little research to see who you who you had in your guest, but I, I don't think I've I don't have a comprehensive list. So you have to tell me if you've had this person or not. I don't know. Well, some someone who I just uh, respect so much as a writer and uh, as an intellect uh, is uh, Teju Cole. You know Teju Cole. I know, yeah, very, very familiar with his with his work. Uh, Open City and Every yeah. Day is for a Thief. He got one coming in the fall too. And Black Papers, yeah. Uh huh. People ain't talking about it, but yeah, I seen it. It didn't. It didn't miss me. Have you? Uh, have you had him? Would love to. He's yeah. He's 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 amazing. Uh, yeah. Um. Also, have you guys had? Uh, let me think. Uh, he just came out with a book called Decent People, Deshaun Charles Winslow. Oh. So we we have not had him yet either. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's solid. Uh yeah. Sadiq Fafana, you know him? Yeah, uh, we love Sadiq. Here. Yeah. yeah. You have him here? Yeah, we yeah, love yeah, Sadiq. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. I was no, gonna I was say Sadiq if you haven't had Sadiq, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Love his some bombs though. Stories from the what? I said those three bombs. Oh yeah, nah, you're doing great. I I want to know everybody who you thinking now. <laughs> you know someone else, and and it's a and on a different tip that you know, this is someone who's been around for a long time, uh, and you know, would be a very interesting person to interview because a very different perspective from a lot of us kind of younger <laughs> younger debut writers is uh, I don't know if you know do you know Clarence Major. I do, yeah. Yeah, he's been putting in work for decades too. Decades. Decades. You know, and you know, and he's he's uh and he's been for decades, but also, you know, pretty well like he's won awards and you know, all kinds of like great awards. And and he recently just came up with two he's he's 85 or something like that, mm-hmm. and just came out with uh two books this year. Well, two books coming out this year. Uh, and one of them, uh, I was like, I don't, perplexed and honored that he, he he asked me to write a blurb for for his uh, one of his latest books called Golden Gate, um, and it's it's really a collection of short stories taking place around um, all around San Francisco. Uh, but he deals, but it's beautiful stories that are that are so powerful. Uh, and so he might be a really interesting person from a totally different perspective. Uh, yeah. You know? yeah. No, that those are dope. And and I, I appreciate your list too, because you're kind of keeping it like, hey, you know, these people like are dropping something that came out this year, like within the past calendar year. You know what I mean? So, you know, that that's that's very thoughtful of you to do that too. Cause we are trying to like 
get people while they're kind of like in the yeah to still do press versus yeah. like oh i haven't put out a book in like eight years like why am i gonna, <laughs> you know why am i gonna talk about you know my book on the show so uh can you share whatever else is next uh for you and also let people know how they can like just follow your journey whether that's social media website or whatever the case may be yeah so definitely uh i'm on instagram uh which which you know i was never on instagram before i i got this book book published the the pr people that i work with at the publisher they're like you know you need some social media presence so it's been a learning curve for me um and uh, it's been it's been really good, you know. I have to say, I mean, it's it's a uh, it's it's intense, <laughs> uh, and it's a lot of work. Uh, but so, but it's great to be able to connect to people. You know, I have people connecting me, you know, from all over the world that I would never hear from. You know, yeah. one of my biggest fans is down in New Zealand. Man, God bless her. Hey. <laughs> She's like, I'm telling everyone I see to read this book. You know, so I, I she get I get that's from Instagram. So on Instagram, I post uh, you know events coming up. I have a website, which actually is going to be updated uh, probably later today with the new events that I have coming up in uh, in June, in May and June, uh, yeah. where I'm going to be. Um, also, uh, you know, not that it matters for you, but but if you're if, if you're in Germany, I'm coming to Germany in June. Well, the, the German version's coming out. So I'll be in Berlin uh, in late June. Let's go. So hey, there around. it is. Grönland. Hey. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh. And, um, you know, of course, we'll, we'll have links in the show notes to uh, David's website. You click on that and you can find everything. Um, you can find him everywhere that he's located because that's usually the the secret to authors. Go to their website. You'll see yeah. the social media links, their, their web links and all that jazz, right? So. Uh, David, thank you for um for spending time with us talking about Greenland. You know, it was definitely a fun read. Um, like yeah, I said, complicated in a great way. It gives you a lot to talk about. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about it. Um, and you know, for listeners, viewers, go to bookshop.org/shop/books of pop culture to get your copy in hardcover or paperback by the time you listen to this. Um, for and thank yeah. you guys so much for inviting me. I've, I've I've been watching you know your interviews with other people, and I have been really enjoying. I love what you guys do. I, I keep I hope you keep on doing it and doing it more. Uh, I, I love it. Um, yeah. No, thank you. Thank and you. I'm, David. I'm really I'm really honored to be here. You know, it, it means a lot to me. So thank you so much. Uh, thank love. you. Seriously, thank you. And uh, for David Santos Donaldson and Achilles Missouri, I'm Reggie Bailey. This has been another edition of Books of Pop Culture, and we'll see y'all next time. Take care. Peace. Bye. Thank you.